Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We are discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. This is Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. You don't sound rusty at all. I know. I almost forgot uh, what to do. And <laughs> you knew where behind the microphone. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a you know a while since I've been in this chair. It's good to be back. Welcome back. This is the Moma Loss with Restore Retreat finally reunited. Reunited. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to be the one to sing. <laughs> Welcome back, Jock. I'm happy to have you back. Thank you. I know you had some good shows while I was out. Yeah, uh, you talking missed a lot, man. Yes, yes. Uh, we, updated land loss map. Me and BJ held our own over here, but we are happy to have you back. We also have a couple of exciting things to still talk about. We want to talk about Mid Barataria, something that our our listeners can do on their end, and then have some exciting guests already lined up. Yeah, so if you listen to the last week's episode, the one before that as well, um, we were discussing, or Simone was discussing Mid-Barataria scoping process, which is basically um, through the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, a process where they get input on what they should consider as part of the environmental impact statement. Um, So those uh, comments, uh, you can submit your scoping comments now through September 5th. And on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.com, org slash mid barataria uh you can go and actually give comments that'll go directly to the core yeah yeah i think it's a very easy helpful way folks have heard us we've had brad and rudy on talking about the project we actually talked about what scoping meant and those kinds of things and so uh people feel like they're educated i feel like people have enough right now to know to be able to take that action yeah, they completed the the third meeting last week, um, and I think the meetings were pretty well attended and really informative. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to the months ahead when we'll learn more about how to move this critical project forward. Great, great. Uh, what are we talking about today? We're, you know, discussing land building in different ways. So first, we're going to have um, a leader with Weeks Marine, who uh, is an, a company, global company that has done a ton of really great work on the restoration side here in Louisiana, but also projects around the world. Um, we're going to be talking to them about the work that they do here in Louisiana to actually build land, marsh creation, and other projects. And then we're going to have Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation on Previous to talk. Previous guest. Previous guests talk a little bit about natural land building. So what happens in terms of the plants that grow and and how do, you know, how does the marsh come back essentially after these projects are completed? Yeah, I love the yin and yang of that. So we have Mark on the line. So let's get started with him. Uh, Mark Sickles is with Weeks Marine. He's with Corporate and Government Relations. He also was an elected official over in Virginia and also had a role as executive director of Dredging Contractors of America. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Simone. Good to be with you. Yes. That, uh, DCA gig was a long time ago, but <laughs> lots of good memories. We like to we like to remind everybody about all those things <laughs> that they used to do in their past, good or bad. Um, so Mark right. and I actually had a, a chance meeting at CPRA. Um, Mark gave up, got up, and gave just a little bitty public comment about their sixty million dollar dredge that they're building. And no stuff. big deal. No big deal. Yeah. So, um, so he had the luck of sitting next to me at lunch, and so I chatted him up. <laughs> and here you are. And here you are. It's great to get some good Louisiana food and some. St. Bernard yeah. hospitality. It was great. They had to be the there. spread. I they heard had, they rolled yes, out the red carpet. Definitely did. So, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit? Um, you know, Weeks Marine is something very familiar to Restore Retreat. Some of our folks, you've done a lot of projects mm-hmm. that we follow. But why don't you tell us a little bit about Weeks' r- work in restoring the coast in some of these large scale projects? Well, um, Weeks is a family owned company. We're based in New Jersey in 1998. We purchased um, most of the marine assets of a, 
a Louisiana company called TL James. TL James was the largest um, uh, contract in the Gulf of Mexico at the time. So we kept all the Louisiana folks, and our uh, company uh, is about half dredging. We have about 850 employees in the dredging division, and about 500 of them uh, live in Louisiana. Um, we are close. Uh, we watch closely what happens at CPRA. We're really thankful for all the work that you do and the fact that your elected leadership in Louisiana is committed to making sure the funds from both uh, the oil spill and, and the funds that will be coming in from Go Mesa are spent uh, in their intended manner. And based on that, we've, we've done a lot of investment in the last few years. And as you mentioned, done a lot of projects. So we have a lot of friends over at uh, at CPRA and, and wish them the best as they take on this challenging uh, role that they have. Yeah, we're very proud of them, very proud of them and the work that they do and that they're a leader in that space, um, certainly committing, uh, putting their money where their mouth is too, right? Spending those post-bill dollars and dollars that come into the state and, and saying that this is important to us and making that a priority. So you've been with Weeks since 2005, right? Pre or post, yes. uh, Katrina? <laughs> did you come? Right. Yeah. Did you come before or after Katrina? Um I think I came uh, around the same time our construction <laughs> division was involved in uh, building the uh, surge barrier as ah, well. We, yeah. we, drove, yeah. we drove most of those piles over there. And we, we have a couple uh, of uh, marine yards in Louisiana. The, yeah, you'll the have a, a regional course. office in Covington too, right, Mark? Yep. Yep. The Covington is our national headquarters for our dredging division. So oh, our very cool. senior vice president, uh, who's the namesake for the new dredge, uh, Steve Shatry is in charge over there of our dredging division. Um, our construction office, uh, we have some construction folks there, but also in, in um, Houston and, and in New Jersey, uh, where we're headquartered up in the New York metropolitan area. Yeah, and you're based out of D.C., Mark? I am. I live in Virginia, as you mentioned. I'm, yeah. uh, my uh, side job is to be a member of the General Assembly. <laughs> are y'all are y'all like Louisiana and and their side job turned into a couple of extra special sessions and <laughs> turned into a full job full time job for yeah, most of them. <laughs> it, it really it really is. It's like having two full time jobs. I'm I'm on the appropriations committee and and that keeps us real busy. Yeah, that's um, very important. Trying to figure out how to uh, spend our limited resources. I'm I am a missionary for Louisiana up there though because <laughs> your issues are are national issues. And I love to tell people what these projects are like. They just have their, uh, you know, jaws hang down that they're, we're building barrier islands, rebuilding barrier islands where there are no houses. Right, right, where people don't live. Right. Road. Exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love the fact that you have that perspective of uh, of lawmaking and what it takes to get something funded. You know, I, I love that aspect of that. So let's talk a little bit about the work. You know, we talk about words like dredging and marsh creation a lot, but to the average person, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean a lot. Or, or can you tell them what that means in layman's term? Like for, um, just for an example, like what have you, one of your jobs here might entail? Well, when this kind of work started, it was coming out of the Quipper process, what used to be called the Bro Bill. Right. And uh, they... Um, it, it started out mostly, you know, it would be either a barrier island job or a straight wetlands or marsh creation restoration. And then in the last number of years, the, those two elements have been combined a lot of times. It, 
It happens that we're doing a, a couple of uh, marsh restoration jobs in Louisiana right now that do not include a barrier island, and they're hundreds of acres. But um, the uh, the engineers will lay out a a back dike where uh, you can <coughs> excuse my voice. I'm sorry. Where you can uh, pump uh, the less uh, dense material and not the sandy material, and mm-hmm. you can build up the marsh that way behind the dike. The dike goes in first, according to the uh, the plan that's laid out. And then, if you can find uh, the best sand, you you put that on the beach in the front. And and uh, and you're essentially digging a, for the sand, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's underwater, and it's harder to find um, to find material that can be used to stabilize these barrier islands. Um, the uh, the Bayou uh, Dupont job is is or the um, excuse me the Caminata uh, job involved bringing material from Ship Shoal 30 miles away to pump out on that beach there, and uh, that turned out to be a, a, a good uh, use of that sand. People have talked about it for years and years using it, and this was one of the first uses of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely but, right. We talk about that project a lot. Right, and so so sometimes it was harder. Like after the oil spill happened and people wanted to build a, a barrier reef, I mean, a barrier uh, to uh, the oil coming on shore, The you know, the, it wasn't obvious where the sand was. It's always been our position and some exploration should be going on all the time to find out where uh, deposits of sand have been made you know, hundreds or even thousands of years ago. Usually it's under 10, 8, 6 feet of mud that has to be taken off the top that you use in the marsh side and then you get to the material that will stabilize the beach itself. Yeah, we would love to talk to you more about how many people it takes to do something like that, and then we really want to get to the showstopper about the new dredge. So, Mark, will you hang on with us through the break? Okay, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to EDF.org to see how you can help. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. I'm Simone Laws with Restore Retreat. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO and online through our new podcast. Check out and like Restore the Mississippi River Delta or the and or the Roar Facebook page. You can find out um, you can find previous episodes. You can find out current happenings and events. All the details right there. We were talking with Mark Sickles of Weeks Marine before the break, and we wanted to come back with him because we still have a lot to talk about. Welcome back, Mark. Oh, good to be here. Thanks. So I remember we uh, we used to follow the uh, Caminata project pretty closely, and I remember at one point I think somebody told us that there might might have been eighty guys working um, working on the dredges um, in that project. Is is that typical of a project like that? Uh, I think you mentioned that sounds like the projects are getting to be more complex. That must mean more manpower. Absolutely, that's that's what it takes, and uh, we're we're operating twenty four seven. The people who work for us. Uh, when they leave home, they don't come home for uh, maybe uh, two weeks or three weeks, depending on the kind of shift they have. It's mm-hmm. very common to be three weeks on, three weeks off. Um, and so we have dedicated people out there. It's not for everybody, but uh, it's a good family wage job. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I hear there's steak night and soft serve ice cream. Huh? <laughs> I'm the just kidding. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they the work pretty, pretty hard. Good. They work long shifts and they work really hard. And, and that was truly a really impressive operation. So let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about the new dredge. Y'all made uh, a quiet announcement at CPRA quite a few weeks ago. Um, well, I guess a couple weeks ago now. But then I saw that it hit some of the headlines, too. I know it was featured in yeah. our local paper and Homa. So tell us all about the announcement. Right. right. Well, we wanted a place to, um, to announce it that would make a difference for people because dredging is not a subject that, you know, people talk about in their what? life normally. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe at Restore and Retreat. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, across America. But anyway, um, this was a, a good opportunity. This, this dredge had been underway. It had been quiet, you know, and we, we decided to formally announce it. It is going to be a big one uh, for a cutter suction dredge. This type of dredge moves material directly from the cut or where you take it from to the place you're uh, pumping it to in a slurry. They're generally talked about in inches, and that that if it's a 30-inch dredge, that typically means that means that the pipeline is a 30-inch diameter. Uh, those are the biggest ones, and um, we have hundreds of mile of pipe now because these projects. Uh, um, the um, the source of the material is further and further from the beach. This dredge will have more capability to pump further. It's got uh, the newest uh, Tier 4 EPA diesel electric, diesel electric engines in it. It's got, you know, over 23,000 total installed horsepower on it. It can work offshore, you know, on wires in the open gulf, or it can work uh, inland on a spud carriage. It, it has uh, the ability to house 52 people wow. uh, at one time. Yeah. So, so it is, uh, it's going to be our biggest one. And, uh, and where's it being built, Mark? Right here, right? It's right here. Yeah. In Bell Chase, uh, Louisiana at uh, CNC Marine. So uh, happy about that. Uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a while to build it. Um, it is going to look a lot like the one that we um, christened five years ago. In Homa? The, uh, CR. In Homa, that's the CR McCaskill. <laughs> uh-huh. That's been a turned out to be a great investment for the company because it's worked almost continuously from the day it went to work. And but our big news, and I did not mention this at CPR A meeting because I just wanted to make sure they focus on this new thing, and it's going to be a year or so before it's done. But um, in a few months, we're christening the Magdalene, which is a hopper dredge, which is a self-propelled ship that uh, twin screw that is going to be our third hopper dredge. When the material comes becomes further and further away, hopper dredging is oftentimes the most efficient way to uh, handle the material. So it's not a continuous process. You fill the hopper. When you stop, uh, when it's filled, you, you stop dredging. You uh, sail back to uh, near shore, and you hook yourself up into... So that a, was more uh, like a Caminata a, operation, right, Mark? Yeah, well, the, in Caminata, we, we unloaded uh, scows, right. big hopper That's right. barges. That's right. But th- those aren't self-propelled. I mean, they were towed there to be unloaded, mm-hmm. but uh, it is that same theory. And, and there has there's a rotation. But with the hopper dredge, you you uh, quit dredging, and, and you actually dredge with the, with the uh, let's call it a hopper or barge as a self-contained unit. And it has the ability to pump out. And the Magdalene's going to be the most... Uh, uh, most powerful, most fuel-efficient uh, pumping-out dredge, we think, in the United States. That's what the hope is, anyway. 
Um, it's being uh, finished right now. It's in the water over in Panama City, Florida. It's being fitted out. It's going to. Uh, do you need us? Do you need me and Jacques to come check that out and just make sure that <laughs> you prob- it works correctly? Well, well <laughs> that the ice cream machine works and, correctly on it. And, and I think I have enough authority to invite you to the Christmas. Yeah, which I like it. Likely to be in New York City, though. Oh, it's, we can. Uh, we can. Oh man, we can. Yeah, I think we can make that. We'll have to take- you can make that. That's great. <laughs> uh, we're going to go straight to work on. Um, uh, a bunch of uh, beaches in, in New Jersey there. Yeah, right, something that we have in common, country. right? We actually have in common exactly. with the Northeast. So, exactly. so, so Mark, clearly you need people to work on these stretches, right? Do y'all have? I mean, y'all have job openings here in Louisiana or, or, or anywhere in the Northeast, even? Yeah, I think if you're willing to work hard, they hire young engineers all the time. Um, we we have. Uh, Recently uh, contributed to a technical school oh, to, very good. to help uh, prepare people to, for, uh, uh, you know, jobs that don't require a college education. Yeah, right. The, a lot of, you know, we have uh, all, always have opportunities to start out in surveying, mm-hmm. you know, hydrographic surveying. And um, that's a good entry level job for someone who has education. Um, so there are a lot of ways to get in. It, it's, uh, it requires uh, someone to... Uh, like I say, be willing and able to leave home. And of course you have to be drug free and uh, that type of thing. So it, we are just looking for people who want to work hard. So where can people go who might be interested to learn more about those positions and apply? Well, our, our job openings are, um, are found on our, on our website, www.weeksmarine.com. And that's W-E-E-K-S Marine, all one word, dot com. Very, very good. They can, yep. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that sounds interesting. We talk about a lot about the water management sector here um, in Louisiana and the jobs that that could create. And certainly those uh, mid, uh, you know, skilled jobs that you don't need a a college degree for, but you certainly need some training. And a lot of folks, if you're willing and dedicated, um, they're willing to train you if you, you know, put, put some you know, sweat and blood and sweat in in the beginning, right? So like you said, even people who start out and and surveying and and want to work their way up. So when, um, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Simone, we also have a lot of heavy equipment operators that we Yeah, we talk about uh, that too. And uh, we have crew boat operators, uh, people that can operate a backhoe, um, things like that. Yeah. Drive an airboat. Yeah, I wish I knew how to drive an airboat. I say that all the time. That's actually an excellent point, too. We do talk about that a lot because certainly lots of folks who work in oil and gas here, um, they work in that coastal environment and they may be, you know, heavy equipment operators and certainly, you know, people who need CDLs and trucks, heavy trucks, those things. So we want to make sure that people understand that what we talk about here every day is is real money, but it's also real jobs, too, that, that could come to our state. So Absolutely. We are so proud to feature Weeks Marine Invest here on Delta Dispatches. Mark, thank you for joining us. Can you tell well, us thank you. one more time where people can go to find out about the new dredge and about some of the jobs that y'all might have here? Uh, uh, at weeksmarine.com. Weeksmarine.com. That's our, our, our website. And uh, and if, uh, if that doesn't work, uh, then uh, you can call 985-875-2500. Thank right you. in Covington, uh, Louisiana. Yeah, thank you, Mark, for being on. We also want to thank you for supporting all of our campaign efforts. Weeks has been a really big supporter of the Master Plan and GoMesa when we've tried to rally businesses here. So thank you for that, too. 
Happy to do it. We'll be Thanks waiting for, for all you do. Yeah, we'll be waiting for our New York City invitation, Mark, just so you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. We'll Thanks for joining okay. Delta Dispatches. We'll be back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. This is Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. Welcome back, Jacques. Welcome back. So that was a great first segment. Simone, we were talking about land building with Mark Sickles um, of Weeks Marine. Um, really informative. Yeah, yeah. Really, um, really got into the kind of mechanics of, of what kind of vessel and vehicle does those kinds of things. And so really interesting. We would love, love to have Mark back to talk about. He's worked on a ton of projects here in Louisiana, so we'd love to have him back. But now I think we're going to talk a yeah, little bit about the natural side. Good, yeah, natural side of land building. So what happens to these marshes after they're kind of placed? And then also where are we seeing growth just naturally um, along the river. Um, so we're really excited to have back a good friend of ours in the show, Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Uh, welcome back, John. How are things on, in the Pontchartrain Basin since we last spoke? I think he's outside of the oh. Pontchartrain Basin, huh? <laughs> at, the, at the moment, I'm they let the you out? Chafalaya <laughs> Swamp. Uh, but uh, things are great in the Pontchartrain Basin. It's great to be back on the show. Awesome. Well, you know, we were talking about, you know, marsh creation. And of course, we focus a lot about um, around the opportunity to build land using the river and the freshwater and sediment of the river. Um, So tell us a little bit. You were mentioning the other day that we're kind of in the growing season for deltas. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah, you know, we, we, of course, uh, we think of the growing season. We we think of uh, uh, plants and, and, you know, like our vegetable garden and things like that and uh, summertime and uh, there's a something similar, but but uh, a little bit more kind of tuned to the the, the kind of uh, ecosystem we have in South Louisiana, and that is basically deltas and deltas how they work, and and what that means is that in the spring, 
when actually plants should be starting to really grow, and they do, uh, but that's also when you have high water in the river. So if you have an outlet, a diversion, uh, for instance, like West Bay is an outlet that was made uh, a few years ago, uh, the water that flows out of the river flows into the marsh, and the water elevations uh, in the marsh tend to be elevated somewhat. And that's good because that allows the sediment to, to, to move out, out of the river and across mud flats and be deposited. Uh, but it also means that you're creating new land that, at that point, there's no vegetation on it. So, but then the river subsides, you know, in, say, late spring or in the summer, and, and then you have these bare mud flats. And then that's the opportunity for the plants. And when the plants start to spread out on these mud flats and, and start to uh, convert what was water to what we would consider land now because it's got rooted vegetation, emergent vegetation on what was formerly water, then a mud flat, and, and then what we would consider wetlands. So that's that's what I was referring to as this growing season because that's exactly what's happening right now. The river flood ended about a month ago, and so at various locations where you do have these outlets, uh, where you have fresh uh, sediment, and the water levels are down now, and so the plants are really blossoming and taking off. And that that's just great to see. And, you know, that's so interesting and a great description of, of kind of what's happening along um, certain parts that are getting, you know, input from the river um, and building land. So tell us a little bit about kind of the progression of these areas over time. I mean, you mentioned mudflats and then kind of more, um, you know, rooted plants will take place. Um, at what point, you know, over the course of like years, like what do you see in terms of, you know, other plants developing, trees, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, there is a progression. It's uh, a general progression. It's not always the same. But but uh, really the first thing that happens when you have the water become shallow enough uh, before you even have, like, exposed mud flats, when you have shallow water ponds and lagoons, you'll have grass beds develop. And often when this is related to a diversion, this is really dense grass beds, which is really good. It's really thick, lush. It's a lot of habitat just from that. Uh, but as the delta continues to grow, actually, it'll start to bury those grass beds. And uh, then you have other uh, emergent plants, you know, what generally they'll call them pioneer species. But these like are plants that, that can, <laughs> right, right, it sounds great, it is. And, and these are the plants that can kind of spread quickly, take advantage of that open space. Uh, often these are not necessarily tall plants. These are things like uh, elephant ear and, and uh, some maybe uh, giant sawgrass, things that can grow quickly uh, and kind of look like uh, grasses. Uh, so they quickly colonize, but over time, uh, the big boys start to come in. You start to have shrubs and, and then uh, small trees uh and uh, what we commonly see in this uh, situation is black willow, which is a native species. And it, it's, it is a tree, but it's a rapidly growing tree. And so in some areas, we, we see where new land that's less than 10 years old uh, literally uh, has, has trees on it that are over 30 foot tall. So the, these are uh, trees, but they're, they're rapidly growing trees. And, and that's, that's not an accident. You know, those plants are attuned to the delta cycle, and they know the delta's dynamic, and so those trees come in and, and take off and grow quickly in that environment. 
Now, one thing that does not happen under the natural uh, sequence of development, unfortunately, now is cypress, which is, you know, really the most important swamp species we have in the state uh, for a number of reasons. It's uh, the state tree. It's kind of iconic. It's a beautiful tree. It's long living. All these has great qualities. It reduces storm surge. But unfortunately, uh, the cypress trees under the current conditions don't propagate by themselves. And the reason is is that uh, because of our, our, our old friend, the nutria, that basically if you have a small sapling tree, uh, there's a very good chance that uh, a nutria is going to come and, and eat the tree or at least eat enough of it to damage it so that the tree is killed. So that's why in areas uh, where you have good conditions and you see this succession and you have new land, uh, LPBF and many other partners like the Coalition and other people involved with this Mississippi River Delta campaign, we've been planting cypress trees, and they're doing really well in these areas. So that's artificially helping the succession, but all this other stuff happens first. You know, the, the, the grass beds, the grasses, the black willow, and, and and that's really important because the, the system, ecosystem mostly does the work itself, and that's great. But we uh, think that the, uh, the what they call the keystone species, uh, it should be cypress, and that's why we're also adding cypress to the system. That's great. And I know, I mean, when you think of the kind of iconic Louisiana wetland and swamp, you, I mean, it's hard to think of that without... Um, thinking about, you know, the cypress tree. And I know Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation had a study um, that was recently, that recently came out about kind of some of the marsh plantings you all did in Manshack. So um, I want to get into that. Um, but I imagine, you know, as you see this land grow and develop, um, I mean, you mentioned nutria, right? There are efforts to mitigate the impact of the nutria. But on, a, on the positive side, I'm sure you see other wildlife come in as well to these areas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, it's... Uh um kind of a uh almost uh you know uh, shocking frankly that some areas uh like at Carnarvon that uh, 10 or 15 years ago were an open pond and basically uh all you could do was maybe duck hunt and, and probably not very good duck hunting because there was almost no virtually no other vegetation around uh the land in uh this the Big Mar Pond that is being filled by the Carnarvon Diversion is so high that actually uh, you have uh, deer and other mammals that are uh, now occupying that ecosystem. So, you know, a land manager maybe 15 years ago was was selling duck leases in three feet of water. He's now selling maybe deer leases on two foot of land. So it's, it's an amazing transition, and, and, you know, there are still resources there, and, and people can still take advantage of it. But uh, it's good to see that, uh, you know, the system adjusting and that, uh, you know, people adjust with it. Absolutely. And, and in fact, I actually grew up in Braithwaite right in front of the Carnarvon uh, Freshwater Diversion Outfall Area. And I've been multiple times with Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation on airboat tours there. And you, you're right. You just see a ton of willow trees, and you really have seen the land build up and you can see on Google Earth, in fact, where almost that whole big mar has filled in. Um, so it is interesting. And then I know you do a lot of work further down, um, you know, south on the East Bank and the river, and you're also seeing other areas where similar deltas are forming. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, you know, just on Friday, I, I flew over uh, the river uh, and, uh, you know, flew over the outfall area from Mardi Gras Pass. And there's 
an area called Yulon Bay. And we've been watching this for the last year or two. This 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 Yulon Bay is becoming shallower and shallower. It's filling up with mud and when I flew over it Friday, because we're in this growing season, you know, the water levels are down. We're still got long day and, and hot temperatures for the plants. They're, they're doing uh, great. And so this mud flat is rapidly getting covered with vegetation. Also saw the same thing. There's a, uh, a, uh, a terracing project in Bay Denis, uh, which is in the outflow area of a breach in the river called Fort St. Phillips. Bay Denis, uh, these terraces, you know, for a while we were seeing just little patches of wetlands on the individual terraces, but now we're starting to see where they're kind of connecting together into a larger area. Uh, and, 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 and finally, one other area flew over West Bay in basically a similar pattern. We're seeing the expansion of these, these what were little isolated islands of wetlands expanding into larger clusters. Okay, and you know we want to get into uh, you know the specific studies that you all just uh, released and around... Uh Plant, tree plantings, as well as um, kind of uh, salinity measures. So we'll do that when we get back from the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. All right, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert, and we are back with Dr. John Lopez of the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Welcome back, John. Uh, uh, Thanks, Jacques. All right, so let's get into, um, I know uh, Lake Pontchartrain Basin released two studies recently. One is actually really relevant to the topic we were discussing before the break, land building. So I know you all have done a lot of work out um, on the Manshack uh, Swamp and Land Bridge area, as well as in Carnarvon around uh, cypress planting. So tell us a little bit about what you found in doing that and what the study says. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the, the we've been planting trees in Carnarvon area and also on the Marpar area between Lake Marpar and Lake Pontchartrain. And altogether, we've planted probably about 50,000 trees. 
Uh, we've been monitoring uh, Carnarvon for about five years, but we've only been monitoring Marpoff since we've been planting there only for about two or three years. So we're a little short of record, but we just did release a report on the Marpoff, and it is very interesting already. Uh, first of all, the good news is that the survival rate is still very good, similar to Carnarvon. That basically, survival rate of the trees is uh, 70 80%, which is very good. Wow. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that will probably come down a little bit as we've seen elsewhere, but, uh, you know, after three or four years of carbon, we still had something like 70 to 80% uh, survival. So, so it's still very good. The thing that's interesting, though, is that we also measure the height and the, the diameter of the trees, how big the trees are. And what we find, is, and that gives you the, basically a growth rate. What we're finding is that the growth rates on Marapaw are substantially less than what we see in the Carnarvon area. And we have a couple of uh, theories on that. One, of course, is that uh, the trees at Carnarvon are, are growing faster because of the influence of the Carnarvon diversion. And that, that is probably uh, the most likely or, or most significant contributing factor. And, and that would argue that the diversions that have been posed by the state master plan to influence the Marpar area would help the Marpar trees. I mean, they're surviving, but you would like to see them grow faster. Maybe we'll see see them change over time, but uh, like I said, it's just the first few years of data. Uh, but the other problem could be uh, our contributing factor is that the Marpar area, the, the water's a little deeper, and, and the, the trees are in the water probably more than they should be optimally. Uh, but uh, that, frankly, could be alleviated still somewhat by the diversions because the reason the trees don't like to be in the water too much is because they tend to have low oxygen. Uh, if you have a freshwater source like a diversion, that tends to bring in water that has oxygen in it. So that also addresses somewhat the flooding problem. Uh, so anyway, it's it's kind of premature, but but frankly, it's not too surprising that you know an area without the influence of the river, which is what naturally it should have, is not doing as well as the area that does have the influence of the river. Wow. And, you know, 50,000 trees. I mean, that's you, we should commend Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and the, all the partners and volunteers that helped contribute to that effort, because, I mean, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. And, and clearly we, you know, talked about the cypress tree and how important it is to the landscape. Of course, storm surge protection, you know, it's our state's official tree. So um, tell us a little bit about um, the diversion that's being propo- proposed in the Moripah area and how that might help, you know, with some of those cypress plantings and just, um, you know, maintaining land in that area. Sure. Absolutely. And let me say, as I recall, you helped plant some of those trees yourself. So, uh, it was a, a muddy lot, Saturday, a but uh, it's really <laughs> worth the effort and a lot of fun. So I highly recommend go to Save Our Lake. Dot org and find some volunteer opportunities to get muddy and, and Sweat equity. good I like it. time. Yeah. I like it. So uh, the diversions that have been proposed by the state, or, or I should say they're in the, the 2017 master plan that would influence the Marpar area, are uh, three diversions, basically. Now, one of them it has been, uh, what, approved many times and has been uh, basically in all the plans for, for decades, literally. Uh, and that's uh, what they're calling now the uh, Marpar diversion. At one point it was called... I think they're calling it the East Marpar Diversion. At one point, it was called the Hope Canal Diversion. Uh, but this is a, a, a would be a diversion basically located at Garyville, Louisiana. 
and it would have uh, divert about 2,000 CFS, which is uh, small in terms of the big scheme of things, but still a critical amount, and that would have a, a canal that would flow northward toward Lake Marpa. Um, that one was probably the one that would be built first, but there are two others, at least in this area. One would, uh, uh, they're calling it the Manshack uh, Land Bridge Diversion, I believe, but basically this is a diversion that would be on the west side of the Bonnicary Spillway, and this would allow water to flow from the river through the spillway and across what's called the guide levee into the adjacent swamp and toward uh, the Manchac land bridge. Um, and that one, I believe, is maybe 2,500 CFS. Uh, and then there's another diversion upriver, far upriver. Uh, if, you, if people know the area, it's, it's actually a little upriver of what would be the Blind River Basin, and that's the Union Diversion. And that is a larger diversion. That, that They were proposing 25,000 CFS. Now, that one is first time this has been in the plan, so it's a relatively new concept, so it's at an earlier phase of, of, of analysis, uh, so that one's probably a ways out, but that would also flow into the, the surrounding swamps around Lake Marpa, and some folks might be a little shocked at that, but they should consider this, that uh, what we've seen over time is, with our coast uh, disintegrating, is that storm surge is moving further uh, westward toward Baton Rouge, and Baton Rouge has been sprawling and moving further eastward. So uh, really, uh, even the greater capital area is now increasingly at risk from hurricanes and, and basically the issues of, of sea level rise and so forth. And so that union diversion would basically uh, bolster that system that ultimately would help protect the Baton Rouge area. So you could see why, even though it's an early concept in the long term, it's, it could be a very important project. Right. And I believe the study um, that you published, it says a lot about how important the Manshack land bridge is and maintaining that to, you know, really shielding a lot of the greater Baton Rouge area from storm surge. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, if, if we... Somehow, I mean, and I say somehow, I mean, if we let it go, and eventually it would, that the land bridge would disappear between Lake Marpa and Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, everyone's probably familiar with this idea of how the, the surge sloshes around Lake Pontchartrain with, with a hurricane. Well, basically, if you have one lake that's Marpa in Pontchartrain, that sloshing is just amplified. So it puts all the communities around the lakes at higher risk, including the, the 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 greater Baton Rouge area. Right, and I mean that that's such an important reason why we need to get these projects advanced quickly. You know, keep building on the progress that's been done through the state's master plan. And you can go to la.coastal.gov to learn more about these specific projects, the ones that John referenced. So, John, I really wanted to talk to you about the other study that you all had um, about oyster habitat and salinities through your hydrocoast. <laughs> We blew through uh, reports, this show. <laughs> but yeah, time is uh, rapidly evading us, and I don't think we can do it justice uh, in this segment. But we'll have you back on soon. For now, though, where can people go to learn more about um, and re and see these studies themselves? Yeah, uh, we have on our website, of course, our, our website is saveourlake.org, and if you go to the coastal program, there's a under that that drop down menu, there's a tab called technical reports and. Uh, basically, we have, it's a little overwhelming, but we have probably over 100 reports there. But it's all, you know, organized. So, uh, you know, if you uh, are looking for the uh, 
the Marpaw report, just look for cypress planting, and uh, you should find it there. And, and the other report that we can talk about later is the uh, oyster suitability report we just did for uh, the Biloxi Marsh area. And, right. But that's also on the technical, technical report All right. page. We'll check that thank out. You, John. And thank you so much, John. Uh, okay. Safe travels coming back to the best basin. <laughs> uh Simone's looking at me. The Pontchartrain Basin. We'll have you back on soon, Dr. John Lopez with uh, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. And that is another show. That's we it. reunited. I think I forgot how quickly it goes. <laughs> but anyway, that's it for this week. Delta Dispatches, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. All new show. Thanks, guys. <laughs>